Startup Brewery Podcast, where we discuss all things relating to startups, open, and growing breweries from concept to execution. We are pleased to partner with All About Beer to bring you this podcast. You're joining us today for episode 18, Building Your Business Plan, Setting Goals. I'm Laura Lodge, here with Candace Moon, and we're excited to welcome you to our ongoing podcast journey. As your hosts and founders of Startup Brewery, we both have extensive experience in our areas of specialty. Candace is the craft beer attorney, having worked with more than 500 brewery clients over time, and my background is a mix of distribution, event planning, and craft beer education. You can find more information about us and our contributors, plus a whole bunch of information and resources at startupbrewery.com. To begin, we appreciate today's podcast sponsor. Hey, brewery owners, looking for an untapped revenue stream? With a flat parking lot and the Harvest Hosts network of over 250,000 RVers, you could bring in an extra ten dollars to $15,000 a year. The Harvest Hosts platform connects its members to small businesses for an overnight stay. As a host, you'll open up space for at least one RVer to park for the night. In return, members patronize your business. It's no cost to become a host, and you keep all of your new earnings. Learn more by visiting harvesthosts.com forward slash hosts. This will be episode 18, Building Your Business Plan, Setting Goals. Today's episode is recorded in two parts, which reflects the challenges of summertime scheduling. I'm also solo hosting today for part one, and Candice will join me with our traditional format for part two. Since we are still in business plan mode at this point in our journey, today's episode leans into the importance of setting goals, what kinds of goals will help to maintain a healthy brewing business, how to start from scratch when setting goals for your business plan, and how to handle the balance of being aggressive with goals versus planning for reality. We'll also hear from two brewery owners about their initial strategy around setting goals for their business plans and how this has evolved and expanded as the brewery opened and became more established. Since it's still early in the podcast journey, we have plenty of time to do a deeper, more detailed dive into setting specific goals as we get into plan, act, open, and grow to follow the website path. This is the time, though, that we set that all up and talk about the importance of setting goals regularly and the framework you set them up as a team that can help make those goals happen. Episode 18 follows two excellent sessions of operational strategy. Episode 16, which focused on systems with Nancy Trigg of Trigg Performance Collective, Ethan Sai, PhD, who's a brewing operations consultant and was part of creating the brewing operations program at Metro State in Denver, and Mary Bretman of Beverage Business Builders, and then episode 17, which shifted the focus to people with an interesting discussion between Matt Hughes of USI Insurance and Larry Chase, who is a great game of business certified coach. So getting down to today and setting goals, let's launch into part one. I am pleased to welcome to the table today, Mark Bullman, principal of Triple Bottom Line Brewery Consulting. So Mark, if you'll take a second and tell everybody a little bit about your path and how you got here. Sure. Well, first, thanks. Thanks, Laura. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, get on the podcast this afternoon. A um, little bit about me. Uh, you know, my my journey uh, started as a as a hardcore nerdy home brewer, like, like a lot of people. And um, I, I had a wonderful opportunity of over 10 years ago to join the team with uh, with Left Hand Brewing Company. And I, I worked uh, worked with them uh, as their director of accounting and business administration for, for nearly 10 years. Uh, had just a, a wonderful run run there. And um, during my time, I got to work on everything from transforming that business over to an ESOP to working through a lot of the things in the KPI management space and employee engagement. Um, and since then, I've I've worked uh, for an industry supplier, 
now working for a training company. And I've, I've also taken some time to carve off um, this business consulting opportunity to, you know, I'm seeing a lot of opportunity inside the space to help build some financial, financial acumen um, with people that are trying to get their, get the brewery off the ground. So yeah, for me, just uh, personally, you know, I've, I've done some work with uh, the university of Vermont's business uh, craft business program. Um, I, I've, I'm a regular person on the on the sensory panel with Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, so definitely get to touch both sides of the business side and the beer side. Um, kind of kind of unique for for an accounting type, for sure. And I I think you're still a nerdy homebrewer, yes. Oh, hardcore! Yeah, actually, I uh, just brewed my 18th pro am yesterday with a brewery right here in Northern Colorado. Sweet, that's awesome. You've been collecting medals this year too. <laughs> I try to, yeah. You started off well with big beers. I'm sure it will continue. Appreciate um, that. Okay, so let's launch into our goal-setting world. So to begin our conversation, in the biggest of pictures, what's the importance of setting goals for a small business and how would you define a goal? And are they always financial? Uh, sure, yeah, great question. Um, well, first I just say, you know, for myself as a as a driven type A numbers guy, goal-setting is, is something I love. Um, Goals for me are being able to plan and execute uh, the strategic vision of, you know, the desirable outcomes of both personally and professionally and for your business and for relationships. And we're really just helping to stay on, on, on the roadmap and being able to look through data to know if you're going off course. And so, you know, if you are, of course, a ship can be corrected. So, you know, if, if you want something in business or life, it's, you know, goal setting is creating a plan around it. So, you know, maybe number one to go out the gates, we're on start a very podcast. So I would be sort of a miss to not kick this conversation off around goal setting with, uh, you know, starting a new brewery in the brewery and planning phase of the business plan. So, you know, in that early phase and you're creating a vision for opening the brewery, uh, now is the time to put the pen to paper or spreadsheet and use that as your initial benchmarks for goal setting. Um, you know, consider, you know, in that initial pro forma, uh, the creation of top line sales. And those are being driven by pints sold per customer or per ticket or by week and margin goals that are associated with that and creating cost of goods sold benchmarks and EBITDA goals and profit per barrel cash flow goals. Those are all things that you establish before you laid the first brick in your business or ordered your first piece of stainless. It's before you talk to a banker, you know, your rich uncle or convince your spouse to liquidate your 401k. So um, I think, you know, just a stress test business plan is riddled with initial goals. And I, I might say, Stephen, go so far to, to answer your other question. Does it always have to be financial? I, I think absolutely not. Um, but I think non-financial goal setting happens in the business plan as well. You, you know, you're creating, you're creating your vision and you're creating your brand identity of who your business will become and how to market yourself. So I guess maybe some non-financial examples that you could consider that would fall in the realm of goal setting uh, that happen in that business plan space. Uh, you know, craft craft beer is often engaged. They're, they're pillars of our local community, and it's one of the things that makes us special. So maybe your business plan involves creating some goals and benchmarks around community involvement and how that fits with your marketing plan. Um, 
I, you know, another example I just saw with a, a brewery that recently opened, they had made a commitment to hire 15% of their workforce that, that are veterans. Um, and that's, that's totally measurable and it's totally non-financial and it's a, it's a brand identifier. Um, I got a couple of friends here in Northern Colorado that just um, built their brand around local ingredients. So perhaps goal setting for them could look on like a liquid output basis. So perhaps, you know, Another non-financial goal would be to create a really safe work environment, or perhaps it's to be part of your plan to create some goals around a, have, being a people-first organization and creating a positive work environment for your team. So, of course, those are you know examples that are non-financials, which they are. But I, I really think that those non-financial examples also have an indirect relationship back to financial outcomes. For sure. Um, and it, that makes me think um, in my work with the mentorship program, one of the things I've discovered is that setting goals feels like such a huge mountain to climb, such this mysterious place. Um, and and you mentioned kind of that the goal breaks down to like that top line sales goal breaks down to, into pints in the tap room. So could you talk a little bit about how some of these goals are are really just like nuts and bolts that we make up as we go that make sense? Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, you know, the the pints per day is a, a wonderful example. It's like I, you know, I I think of folks like getting getting off the ground, and you know, I would I'd probably recommend to somebody go sit in someone else's tap room, yeah. and you know, even being super old school, like with with a little counter, like how many people are running through here on a Saturday Saturday afternoon? Um, at two o'clock, right at this time of the day. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean. Those are things that are going to help create your performer, right? So you don't, how how could you possibly establish what your sales numbers are going to be? They'd be be totally pie in the sky unless you had something to work from. So, you know, go, go visit some breweries in your local market. Those numbers are going to look different. You know, if you're, if you're a brewery in downtown city center versus, you know, you're in some industrial park, that could look totally different. Um, And I think, you know, basing that off of uh some experience goes a long way. And, you know, I think, I think too, just, you know, maybe some, some financial goals that have already been established, you know, if you're hoping to maybe pay yourself, um, you know, what would that look like inside of your business plan? How many pints would you have to sell? And um, you probably have some numbers that have been already established in terms of, um, you know, costs per barrel or cost per pint, you know, you're going to have to break those down. So, those are really good lines in the sand to draw early on and make sure you're not veering too far off course. Um, Cause this is, this is basically you're establishing a plan that's going to determine whether or not you have a viable business or not. Yeah, no doubt. An excellent point. Um, so taking the next step here, nearly every startup wants to look good in their perform on their projections. So what would your advice be about balancing the reality of being able to like pay that loan off every month or um, you know, really being realistic versus being aggressive enough to show your confidence in your competence? Uh, yeah, great, great question too, Laura. I mean, I I think that, you know, the, the days of banks just lending money to breweries, looking through rose-colored glasses are, are over. There's just way too many breweries, you know, that have closed and banks have to manage risk. So, I, I'm not saying that there isn't money out there, but I think like putting yourself in the shoes of a banker at this point, um, at this stage of perhaps growth or decline, um, I, I guess basically what I'm trying to say is, is you're not going to BS a bank with untested projections. You're, you're just, I mean, you're just not. Um, 
So I, I think like, you know, if you want to demonstrate confidence, you know, create some best case and maybe some worst case sales scenarios. So when you are looking for outside capital, you are going to have to project three to 10 years out. And you're going to have to show that you've got the free cash flow to meet your note payments. And I would say that everyone thinks, it's true, everyone thinks that growth is going to happen continually for three to 10 years. And I, I don't know why you would assume that now with the market, you know, conditions and consumer tastes are changing. So just, you know, create some scenarios of declining sales or softer sales. Maybe just, maybe that's maybe a keyword, like create some softer sales than what your heart is telling you. Um, we all got to dream big, but you know, nothing's worse than like, you know, you know maybe a field dreams analogy, like nothing's worse than, you know, mowing under your crops to build your brewery field of dreams thinking if i build it they will come and i would really just implore you you know if you're considering a brewery to strongly analyze the market that you're hoping to open in um with the location with that market and how you're going to be an appealing differentiator to drive sales and just you know be grounded in realism and then consider what your capital needs are going to be for build out equipment startup costs Think about that free or operating cash flow that's going to be required to pay that note, especially with a high interest rate environment right now, um, and for not just now but into the future. So with those, you know, maybe best case, worst case scenario plans. So I guess if you're going to make it work, kick ass. Uh, you know, if the stress test shows you going over your skis in future years, figure out how you can plan for that and being prepared to have an intelligent thoughtful conversation with your banker, your investors, your management team, you know, just for what you're going to do in that slowdown. So yeah, I guess, uh, you know, I, I think it goes a ways to say that in those leaner times as the owner or operator of the brewery, that when cash is crunched, your team and your bank and your business creditors, they all expect to get paid. So doing the right thing may include foregoing your own salary and paying yourself to run that business. And you may need to ask yourself if cutting away my own salary, would my family be able to weather a financial storm? So uh, maybe that means reaching into your own reserves and how long to do that. Um, so it's just, you know, some things to consider with that, you know, if you're going to think about a pro forma and best case, worst case scenarios, make sure you're, you know, planning, planning for the, Plan for the worst and you know just make sure make sure you've got this thing stress tested plan for the pandemic yeah yeah exactly um it's interesting i i would previously have said that you know taproom only model is the best model for right now and kind of like the only direction that has makes any sense you don't want to project uh, success based on distribution right now but now i add to that and you need to can a little bit <laughs> you need to at least know how to do that thing in case you need it um, so when you're talking about the production goals, you're really, and sales, you're, I like that best way, best case, worst case sort of thing. When you're talking about cash flow, though, it sounds like you're advising not only best case or worst case, but if worst case, like plan B, plan C, just to make sure you have those reserves in the place that you need them. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think in those good times, you know, make sure you're setting something aside, um, to, to be able to, to weather that storm. Absolutely.
do you think that making your sales projections and your your pro forma before like in business plan zone is that different than cash flow how does how do your how do you how do you differentiate between yeah i want to do these things but then there's a reality right that you might run out of cash in the middle of that especially like yeah. if you're seasonal right yeah, I, you know, there's an absolute relationship to both of those. And, you know, there's there's phases of startup, you know, your doors are opening to, you know, being, a, being an established brewery with, you know, cash flowing and recognizing the seasonal nature of the business. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, you, you that starts with, you know, your plan and then just, you know, figuring out what your capital needs are going to be and making sure you're you're able to uh, meet expectations with, with your bank and having those conversations up front. And, um, you know, I, I don't think I've talked to anybody that's opened on time. So, I mean, again, you know, from a cash flow perspective, if you've hired staff or you've got a note due and you haven't even sold your first pint of beer, like better, better have that figured out now. Right. Like allow a whole bunch of months in there for cash out and no cash in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very interesting in the um, in the startup of things. What do you think the biggest challenges or pitfalls are in terms of kind of planning for sales and production, and and really not having those goals be possible? Do you um, favorite optimism, soft optimism, people <laughs> with their hearts and. Come on. I mean, really, like, it's so exciting and like owning your own space. And like, I mean, come on. I've thought about it myself. I'm like, it's just like, it's incredibly exciting. And I just think that it, the market, I think optimism is probably the, the, the worst thing, just because um, we all think with our hearts oftentimes. And, you know, that that can get us into trouble. And then I think that's why we're talking about goal setting is like, I think having a plan associated with that is like, uh, stick to your plan, you know, but the best you can. And let's also be realistic that sometimes, especially in the beer business, like things change so quickly. Uh, I mean, the pandemic is a horrible, crazy example of that, but, but really like, I mean, there's one thing to say, like I, I created this plan and then as, as soon as my doors open, everything went out the window. Um, so I talked to several people who did that. Do you think that when you're setting goals um, as a, as a dreamer, not as an owner yet, um, do you think that it helps to have like, I mean, it makes sense to have your brewer or your other partners or maybe friends and family to kind of review those projections and, and kind of walk through if I'm expecting to sell, sell this much, then how many pints is that per day and like walking through the details and kind of, kind of double checking that heart projection? Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, there's, there's people that can do that. And I think there's also a lot of great collaborative folks you know, probably within your own local market that would definitely be willing to to take a look at it if you feel comfortable enough to share it. But, um, you know, those, these are people, these are operators that have been there and done that in your local market and can probably give you a dose of reality. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there's a, a place to begin? Obviously, there's there's savvy people in the industry who could speak to this like yourself. Um, Homebrewers, like, are there like other like resources of people that are that understand brewing and might be able to, to lend some reality to that. Yeah, I, I think there's there's lots of resources out there. I mean, I'd, I'd start with the SBA. I mean, I think that's a great resource. They probably don't know the, the beer business real well, but um, 
you know, I, I think I think that's unique, of course. But, um, you know, beyond that, the, the Brewers Association has a mentorship program. I think that would be a, a great place to, to find some resources as well. And of course, there's lots of great online communities that are really active and um, resourceful and helpful that you can tap into at any time. Yeah, you, you bring up the small business the SBA, the Small Business Development Center is some is a place that I've actually asked for help and ended up with somebody who really understood restaurants, food and beverage, um, not brewing, um, but restaurants and same with the SCORE program. Mm-hmm. Um, so then learning about, you know, like Sam Adams, like Brewing the American Dream and the Axon Opportunity Fund, um, a number of those places have some some resources that are free. Um, which is cool. And we keep we keep making more for our own start a brewery library at the same time as well. Nice. Um, so we're kind of getting down into just a few minutes left. Do you have some some kind of offering of wisdom to to pull it together in terms of planning? Um, you know, I think I'd say maybe maybe outside of benchmarking and goal setting that you've already done, I I'd probably say I would encourage brewery owners and people doing operating to just really empower their team to, you know, reach where they want to land together. Um, I like involving the team um, in business making decisions and, and instead of just like shoving it in front of them. I, I think that's actually kind of a losing equation. Um, I'd say if you're going to create uh, create financial and non-financial goals that have you know, maybe a carrot attached to them, make sure that those are SMART goals. That's an acronym, which stands for specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-based. Um, I like the empowerment of the team. I like checking in. I like keeping folks and, you know, obviously holding yourself accountable. Um, and finally, I just would probably, you know, hit on good data and, and testing and challenging assumptions that we've talked about. Um, and of course, you know, just really making a habit out of chasing small, consistent things that will lead to significant and compounding uh, results. That sounds like awesome wisdom. That also covers a great deal of real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of lots of little pieces in there. Awesome. Well, thank you, Mark. Thank you for being with us today. Um, super excited. We figured out how to do this. And <laughs> um, we'll just um, wrap this up here for part one and we'll pick it up for part two. Welcome back to part two of episode 18, Building Your Business Plan, Setting Goals. You met Mark Bullman of Triple Bottom Line Consulting in part one, and I'll pass the torch to Candace to continue with part two. Welcome. So today uh, we have with us Tim Myers, founder, head brewer at Strange Craft Beer Co., and Matt Delvecchio, head quack slash founder at Duckfoot Brewing Co. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Hey. Um. Let's start with like each of you giving us a little bit of your background and telling us about uh, your brewery a little bit. Tim, we'll start with you. So my background had nothing to do with beer prior to 2010, other than being a home brewer. I was the IT manager for the Rocky Mountain News in Denver for 10 years. And uh, when the paper shut down suddenly in February of 2009, the brewery was plan B for me. And luckily after 13 years, this is the longest job I've ever held doing anything. So I think it was a pretty good plan B. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the brewery? All right, let me do that. Um, 
So Strange is a taproom brewery doing about 250, 300 barrels a year across the bar. We have a total of three full-time and five part-time employees. My brother, Mike, and I are the full-time production staff, along with a part-time assistant. And then up front, uh, my bar manager, Tyler, is full-time. And then we have four four part-time bartenders. And uh, so Tyler, Mike, and I meet weekly just to try and figure out uh, what do we need to brew next? What's selling well? What are the customers requesting? And uh, because we're small, we can do batches from one barrel up to 10 barrels. So it really gives us the flexibility to uh, stay fresh, come up with new ideas without investing in a, in a large batch. We do about 60 different recipes a year, 50 to 60. A lot of those are, uh, are repeat brews. We do way more than 60 brews a year, but we try and do quite a few different recipes. We have a program called One Barrel Wednesday where I just brew up a one barrel experimental. I got an idea and I want to try it out. And then we let the let our regulars be our market focus group on whether uh, we did a good job or need some changes or don't ever brew that again. And uh, some of our uh, top selling regulars started out as one barrel brews and some of our beers that uh, didn't turn out like the radish saison are legendary and how bad they were. But <laughs> it was only 30 gallons, so it's okay. <laughs> gotcha. Sounds spicy. <laughs> it was, uh, it smelled like weak old mop water. Oh so if you ever wonder what we call mop water tastes like, it tastes like a radish saison. I don't recommend Good to it. Know. <laughs> so Matt, tell us about your background and a little bit about Duckfoot. Uh, so my name is Matt Delvecchio. I was a, uh, in my former life, um, I was a graphic designer. Uh, then I moved into financial services and I was, uh, worked in New York City. Um, for about 10 years and then moved out to California to uh, San Diego to start Duckfoot. And uh, the uh, long and winding road, I think, gave me lots of different uh, experience and knowledge and education and to help set me up for the um, being the head quack at Duckfoot. Uh, the um, the interesting thing about my path was, uh, you know, I, I went in, I was a home brewer, um, for all of those years. And then, uh, when I was looking at building out my business plan, uh, for Duckfoot, I ended up being diagnosed with celiac disease, which gave the business plan a, a twist and, unbeknownst to me, I had no idea how many other people were entering the craft brewing market. And um, it worked to my advantage uh, in the sense that it gave us a real special niche. And um, and that I think helped us get a foothold in, in San Diego when we, when we opened up in 2015, um, when we signed our lease, 
it took us about eight months to open or build out our brewery. And in that time that we, from when we signed the lease, I think there were like 60 operating breweries. And when we opened uh, eight months later, we were the hundredth brewery in San Diego um, to open. And then when we celebrated our three year anniversary, we were the, um, there was like 230 operating breweries in, in San Diego. So we've kind of been in the brewing space, in, you know, in town and have seen, uh, seen it very easy to get tap handles. And we've then seen it very difficult to get tap handles. So I've, we've, you know, we're, we're, let's see, um, going up into our ninth year right now. Um, so we've we've managed to weather the the storms and and um, operate through pandemics and and um, and but it's been all in all it's been a great experience and I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Nice. Okay, so Tim, you gave us a little bit about the structure of the brewery. Um, how do you approach setting goals for your business and with your team? Like I like I mentioned, Tyler and Mike and I meet pretty regularly uh my office is at the end of the bar so on a brew day i'm sitting at the end of the bar uh doing quality control though you know i like to multitask so you've got to do some quality control while you're sitting in your office at your brewery but tyler has his pulse on what the customers in the tap room are asking for uh, much more than i do he's about 25 years younger than me he gets to get out a little more than i do he doesn't have two kids waiting at home uh, so he is an excellent guide as to what is selling well what is drinking well i mean i can look at the pos and see what our sales numbers are but that doesn't tell me what customers are thinking and i need that information from tyler so that we can plan appropriately i don't want to make keep making a, uh, 10 barrels of a beer that nobody wants to drink anymore and if uh, beer trends are going in a certain direction. Uh, he's going to know about it way before I do. So we talk pretty regularly. Every time we do a new batch of beer, Mike and Tyler and I sit and, and taste it and talk about what we like about it, what we don't like about it. And then, um, especially in the last three years with COVID and whatnot, when there were financial challenges, it was much easier for the three of us to talk about it than just me, myself, and I trying to decide, you know, what's going to be best. It, it really helps having a team that you can sit down with that you trust that's been with your business for a while um, so that you can bounce those ideas off and, if it's completely insane, you've got uh, some sane minds to pull you back to reality. Uh, my brother, Mike, does a great job with the seller. He tells me when I can, when I can't brew based on how many tanks I have open or, hey, you can't brew that this week because we have to brew our flagship next week or we're going to run out. So having those regular communications really ensures that we keep the surprises to a minimum. I think that's uh, the one thing that really helps us on a day-to-day -day basis is that constant communication. Great. Uh, we're going to take a short break here for our sponsor message. Have you heard of Harvest Hosts? 
brewery owners offer up a space for RVers to park for the night. In exchange, the Harvest Host member patronizes your business. All members have self-contained RVs, so no hookups or water are required from a host. There's no cost to become a host, and you keep all the money spent on-site. Visit harvesthosts.com forward slash hosts for more information. Okay, uh, Matt, looking back to the beginning of Duckfoot, how has your structure changed in terms of what goals you set and how often you set them? Are a lot of your goals set with the team or or are they more set by ownership management? Kind of what's the, what's the strategy there? I'm just laughing because I'm like, oh my gosh, like how much has changed in over the course of the, uh, you know, eight and a half years or whatever. Um, so I'd say when we first opened up, um, planning was not really something we did. Um, we just were in the mindset of go do stuff and running around like chickens with our head cut off. Um, we, you know, I, we have come leaps and bounds from, from that point. I mean, when we first started, we had like, we have a 15 barrel brew house with, um, I think we opened with like four 15 barrel fermenters. So we, I, we, you know, we opened up with, with maybe like 10 beers or something like that. And, and, um, and it was very easy to, um, make enough beer for the, for the one tasting room. Um, we've, we've grown that tasting room over a hundred percent over the last, you know, eight years in terms of sales. And, um, we've gotten rid of the, the four fifteen barrel fermenters. And now there's like three sixties and ten thirties or something like that in there. So, um, planning has become essential. We've, we, we operate two tasting rooms and, and have a, you know, our wholesale is from Southern California all the way, you know, from San Diego, Orange County, Los Angeles, Big Bear, Palm Springs. We're in um, Alaska and Japan um, and hopefully soon to be Arizona. So uh, now planning is like nonstop um we we have we run our we run the business on asana and we have a a program manager there there's about 22 of us on on the team um both front of house back of the house social marketing and all that um and um we um uh, i'm being very self-conscious about my ums and ends by the way sorry i'm failing I'm trying to give good answers here. So we, we, uh, we, we, we meet once a week, once a week, we have brewer brewers meeting once a week, brewers, sales operations. We go over all of the beers, um, that we are trying to get in the fermenters, uh, whatever hangups are happening. Um, things not passing gluten tests and those holding are having to hold up until we get a, a gluten result that we can release. That happens a lot. Um, that enzyme doesn't always do what it's supposed to. Um, and then, you know, um, we we have a calendar of of the year right now, uh, so we know over the next twelve months what we're going to brew. And then, 
so we we meet and do that. We have an annual planning meeting. We have quarterly meetings, and then we have uh, weekly meetings to make sure that we're getting all of those places. And then um, we use Asana to kind of control. That's a for anybody that doesn't know what that is. That's a um, project management software, and that kind of allows us to see everything, not just brewing, but social media, marketing, um, when art is due, when photography needs to be done, when, um, uh, you know, when it's going to hit on tap, when it's going to be delivered to accounts, when it's going to go to distribution, when sales sheets need to get done. So we didn't do any of that in, you know, month we're, we're operating on more cylinders than we've ever operated on so i'm i'm very excited about where we've come but um you know it was a um as a process getting to where we are right now and it's the smoothest it's ever been and um i agree with tim the communication is the key to um making it successful and and the the more communication that you can put in place, the better and happier everybody's going to be, the less mistakes. Like when we, back in like 2018, we didn't have Slack and our, we had that location down in the East Village and they would find out sometimes that we were releasing a beer by looking at Instagram mm -hmm. and talk about pissing <laughs> off your team, right? Yeah. Like, you know, they're like, we work for this company. How do we not know that we have beer coming out? Right. And, but it's, you know, we were in this place where we were sitting in meetings and talking about this. And, and like, there was an internal group that knew what was going on. The brewing team knew, you know, but the front of house didn't know. And, and tying that conversation in and being inclusive um, really came when, when we implemented Slack and gave everybody the ability to communicate with everybody. And having multiple locations, I tell you, it goes a long way. And the psychological impact that, um, that has, it's been wonderful for the company because everybody feels included now and there's, anybody can talk to anybody and everybody's up to speed. Um, and, and, and so it's been really good for just team building and, and, and everything that goes along with that. Awesome. Laura, did you originally plan to have a second location or was it all, did all this kind of evolve and, and shape the dream as you went? Uh, that's a great question. I, we did not plan on having a second location. I mean, originally, um, we Duckfoot was just going to be uh, a. I would. I was very naive in my 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 goals. Like, I don't. I don't think anybody that went into the brewing industry realized ha how many people were going to go into the brewing industry. At least I didn't. And um, and so when you look at the playing field of 2015 when we first started to, you know, 2023. And uh, how many people are now in that space? We I think we've had to adapt. Um, and 
originally it was going to be a brewery that was going to go to all 50 states. And I thought we would do that in three, four years, you know, uh, and that is certainly not the case. I mean, you know, I, I just, you know, kind of went over where we are and it's taken nine years to get there. And granted, we did it with, uh, you know, Duckfoot is two families that went into business together, you know, um, and we didn't do it with investor money. And, and so we, we, you know, could you go right? Could you open up a brewery now and go in all 50 States if you had some serious backing, you know, and we're ready to lose a lot of money probably, you know, but, uh, it's not the way people are finding growth now. And so, um, you know, like Tim, uh, you know, our, our margins are amazing in our tasting rooms, right? So, you know, if you love brewing and love the industry and th that's a great place to be, you know? And so we opened up our, our uh, we opened up one tasting room, didn't work out. Um, and then we closed it. And then uh, we opened up, a, a, I guess, a third tasting room, but it's now our second tasting room, whatever, however you want to split those hairs and um <laughs> and uh it um it's doing extremely well it is actually beating our numbers out of our 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 brewery in in, in, in miramar so and and that thing does really well so um yeah tasting room that second tasting room is is great um you know are we going to go for a third or a fourth you know i i don't know i'm i'm very happy where we are right now um, but, um, uh, you know, it's, that's proven to be a good decision, but it can easily become a bad decision having been on both sides of that. Okay. Um, uh, Tim, in your rear view mirror at Strange, how did you set your initial production and sales goals for that first business plan and how accurate were you in those projections? <laughs> yeah, um, just cut right to the bone there, Kim. So. <laughs> um, Laura wrote the question. Matt, <laughs> similar to what, what Matt was saying, in, in May of 2010 in Denver, there was nine breweries total, and six of them were brew pubs. So I didn't have a lot of reference points before we opened. Uh and there were no taproom breweries in, in Denver whatsoever. So when I was developing my business plan back in 06 and 07, all of my favorite breweries were packaging a brew pub. And, and since I had no restaurant experience, the last thing I wanted to do was learn the brewery business and the restaurant business. So I was leaning towards the packaging route. But when I would talk to very, very generous brewery owners and brewers like Brian Dunn at Great Divide and Peter Bookard at New Belgium or Dale at Oscar Blues, all of them said basically the same thing, that I could probably get open for two, 2.5, but I should budget an extra one to 1.5 for operating capital until we turn a profit in like year three or four. And I was like, wait, what, what, what? Does that 1.5, is that million? That's, you know, I don't, 
I don't have that. This is just, you know, something fun to do after I leave the IT world. Um, and then I was uh, at the brew hut in Aurora because my my uh, homebrew shop was closed that day. And I happened to see uh, a bunch of ice cream parlor chairs in the back of the homebrew shop and asked the cashier what the heck that was. I said, oh, that's our new brewery, our new tap room. Go check it out. And Kevin DeLang was working the bar that day and was generous enough to show me around. And the, the first thing that popped in my head was, how is this even legal? You can't just sell pints across the bar to to customers direct. Isn't that supposed to be in a, a bar or a restaurant or something? Um, so all of a sudden, opening a brewery seemed a little more uh, feasible without going out and getting a ton of investors. So even before my business plan was done, I had to change my business plan because I went from planning to be a production brewery to a taproom brewery because all of a sudden it sounded it sounded more like what I was used to brewing a batch of homebrew and having people come over and drink it. So initially our production capacity though was about 150 gallons a week, not barrels, gallons. We were brewing on my one barrel homebrew setup that I'd modified so that it could do a full 30 gallons. And I had four one barrel fermenters and two three barrel fermenters. So our initial plan was don't run out of beer. We brewed, three times on Monday of the same recipe into a three barrel fermenter. And on Tuesday we brewed two different recipes into two different one barrels. And the tap room was open Wednesday through Saturday. And by Saturday, half the beers that we'd brewed two weeks ago were gone. Um, so it was, it was insanely inefficient, but we were having a lot of fun. But from a business standpoint, the, the fun wore off pretty quick because we had to, treat it like a business. And once we started sitting down and looking at the numbers, we figured out quickly that we had to invest some capital and some larger equipment. So we redid the business plan again, and we went and borrowed our first money and bought a used 10-barrel kettle and a bunch of seven-barrel used fermenters and a used 10-barrel mash ton and tried to start treating it like a business. And finally, we were not running out of beer, which was a good thing. Um, but demand was still increasing. So we thought, you know, what's what's the logical next step? Originally, we were talking about being a production brewery. So let's go into packaging. And in 2014, that was what we did. We ran the numbers. We figured out what it would take. We bought some a 20-barrel fermenter and two 20-barrel brights. And I uh, Mahine six-head bottling line canning at the time was not huge uh wild goose didn't even exist yet or was brand new um so we bought a maheen and eventually we had 100 keg accounts around the state and 140 liquor store accounts uh and we were miserable because it was like four times the amount of work for 25 percent of the return compared to a week of selling pints across the bar and, you know, looking back on it, the biggest mistake that we made in the last 13 years was, you know, wasting those five years packaging when we should have been opening other tap rooms. Um, but unfortunately, at the time in 2010, when we first opened, there was some question in Colorado as to whether tap rooms were even legal. And our lawyer at the time um, 
couldn't wait for us to start packaging so that we at least look like a real brewery to regulators. Unfortunately, um, following that advice was not in our best interest, but you know, you do what your lawyer tells you, right, Candace? You <laughs> lawyer knows. So um, yeah, Matt. <laughs> in in 2019, though, we pulled back from that and started working on, you know, expanding our taproom footprint. You know, go for those larger margins. Don't, you know, don't don't go for the the dollar a six pack. Go for the, the three to four dollars on a pint. That's you know, that's where the margins are. And uh, just about the time we were going to open our second tap room, COVID hit. And luckily, we were able to pull out of that business uh, agreement. And we did not open our second tap room. And thank goodness that we didn't because we would have uh, we would have spent a lot of money and then shut it down six months later when COVID hit. So. Now we're back. Now that things seem to be a little back to normal, we're looking again at uh, expanding our taproom footprint, but we will definitely not go back to packaging. Good to know. Uh, okay, Matt, when creating the Duckfit concept, did the focus on gluten-reduced beers change your financials in any way? When we were doing our business planning. Uh, I did not have that cost in to our financials. Um, and then when, and it, it really wasn't a big deal. Uh, the, the cost of testing wasn't really a big deal to us um, at first because we weren't brewing that much. Um, and now we spend a lot of money on testing, uh, because we brew a lot of, a lot more beer. So, we're, you know, um, but I'm waiting for it to cross over the meaning, like the, the cost of testing and all of that lab stuff we do to, we're, we're like pretty cool. We're getting there. We're getting to the point where we could actually afford to have the lab in-house so that's our goal um one of the we might have done it a lot sooner had we been in a, a another part of the country but um white labs is like literally walking distance to our brewery so we have an advantage over like you know maybe 99% of the uh, the country in that in, in that like they have a, a state-of-the-art lab that we can just get everything done so um it's really got to make financial sense for us to to bring it in-house so but but that being said we spend a lot of money on on lab testing and 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 not you know it's it's not just um you know the the gluten testing but it's just you know quality control period so gotcha okay back to tip how seasonal have you found your business to be with regard to cash flow so do you find that you need to set cash aside during your busiest seasons to pull through the slower times as well as bulk up on inventory in slower times to have enough for busy season how do you how do you plan for your cash flow so i'm an excel 
spreadsheet freak. I admit it. I started out in IT, and I have a spreadsheet for just about anything. If you need, if you have a question, give me five minutes, and I'll pull up the right spreadsheet and let you know. Um, so I try and track as much as I can weekly, monthly, annually. That gives me a lot of data to uh, telling me what to expect from month to month. You know, I've got 13 years of sales data. Uh, we've only had the one location, so it should be pretty relevant. And that helps me for budgeting, production scheduling, bartender scheduling. Uh, unfortunately, though, the one thing that I've learned in the 13 years that we've been open is that none of that data matters because customers have their own schedule. Um, on a weekly basis, Wednesdays and Tuesdays might be slow. So I have one bartender and then all of a sudden we get slammed and I'm getting called at five o'clock. I need you here in five minutes to wash glassware because we're out. Um, January this year was uh, usually January is usually our slowest month of the year. And this year um, it was our second biggest month ever. It broke all of our sales records. So I was thinking, wow, cool. 2023, we're finally at the roaring 20s, and um, then February was crickets. So what I have done in the last five or six years to adjust for that, because I can't say every month is going to be exactly what I expect. I try and have at least an extra month's expenses saved up in the bank. We don't even touch it. We don't count it. We don't look at it. It's there if we need it. Um I try not to rely on, uh, uh, I don't even remember what the hell they're called. You know, my bank offers me a line of credit, but I don't want to touch it because then that's, I'm, I'm paying them a percentage per month. So we, we have extra money in the bank at all times, not just for the slow month, because I never know what the next slow month versus busy month is going to be. Um, and then, you know, when we have a big month, I don't, I don't, immediately just go out and buy that new piece of equipment we've been hankering for. We really sit down as a team and decide, you know, Hey, you know, this month was great. And we've been, we've been really needing this, but before we buy it, you know, what do the next couple of months look like? What do you think? Um, I can pull up my spreadsheets, but Mike's guess or Tyler's guess is just as good as mine as to what's going to happen next. So we try not to just go out and, and spend money when we're flush. We, I'd rather leave it in the bank and be safe. And I think because I was more conservative with our expenses and not, uh, uh, and maybe a little too aggressive with our savings, uh, I think that's why we got through COVID without having to lay anybody off and not having to struggle where some other breweries that were a little more leveraged really had a tough time. I, I just like having that buffer in there so that I don't have to worry about it. I don't want to worry about is uh, are my employees' paychecks going to bounce because we had a slow month. So having that extra buffer in there that I don't even think about it. I don't even I don't even track it. It's just it's in there in case we need it. Gotcha, Matt. What about you and cash flow? Any thoughts? A lot. <laughs> I I um. Yeah, I, I agree uh, with Tim, like the uh, seasonality, there's like seasonality and then um, there's just all these other changes 
that take place and throw off that seasonality sometimes. And for, for no rhyme or reason, like you, you look at like, everything is like, everything goes up to, everything was more normal until 2020 and then COVID happened and then everything went to crap for that right year. And then once you got out of, once we kind of transitioned out of COVID, like 2021 was, was pretty amazing for us. And then 2022 kind of fell off a, a cliff. And then, um, and 2023 has been better. And I'm, and it's like, when I'm factoring in seasonality, there's like tasting room seasonality and there's like wholesale seasonality. And those two things sometimes are synced up and sometimes they're inverse. Uh, And um, so I'm not sure why our tasting room can be up one month, but wholesale is slow, you know? Um, but all of that makes planning and cash flow really challenging. Um, so I, I think it is important to have a huge buffer in the bank to, to, uh, be able to weather storms. Um, and, uh, you know, having a, having a line of credit is, is good to have if you, if you need it. Um, and, you know, but you're going to pay for it. Um, so, you know, if, if you, you don't want to use it like a, like a, um, it, it shouldn't be used as a, as a, a long-term financing thing. Like, I mean, you know, if, if, if it should be between for three days or four days or something like that, or, you know, I, I, in my opinion, right. Like just to get, get you, in between getting the payment from the distributor and paying your credit card bill or something like that. Right. But I mean, if you have your, if you're your own bank, then you don't have to worry about it, you know? Um, but, um, we've implemented a 13 week cash flow. Um, uh, so that has really helped us with, um, uh, cash management planning for a long time. We, we, uh, um, only look, you know, we, we meet every week and look at our bills and our, our, you know, what's in the bank and the whole thing. And, but we found that that was really just like walking down the street, just looking at your feet, you know? And, um, and so we implemented a 13 week cash flow. Um, and, um, uh, Tim, if you like spreadsheets, <laughs> that's a good one to do. Um, <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the benefit to that is it allows you to look down the road. I mean, you're not, you're not looking so far down the road where it's just a guess, but you know, when you, you can pretty much guess, uh, pretty solidly where like, you know, four weeks, eight weeks are right. But then those, those like, you know, week nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, those get a little bit more fuzzy about, well, what kind of purchases am I going to make? You know, what, what, what kind of expectations do I, 
um, can I can I put down on the income side for uh, you know what's going to come in the tasting room so I can help pay those bills? Um, the POs from the distributors change, you know, when you go that far out. So it might might be like a roughed out kind of estimate about what they're going to do. But I mean, by the time you get that far, it's 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 a it's a different story. So, um, but all in all, I think it's been a really helpful. Uh, um, tool to use to help us manage our cash flow and and figure out you know okay well if all this goes according to plan you can buy that piece of equipment or you know you um you're staring down the road you know at you know week eight oh things are going to get a little bit tight because i just bought um you know a new batch of Crowler cans or, you know, whatever, you know, random thing that you just ran out of. So that's been a, a, a big um, success for us implementing that. I think weekly meetings, managing, managing your cash is important and in investing in, in good financials. Awesome. Okay. So we're running out of time. So I'm going to give you guys each a chance to give your final words of wisdom to, uh, to our potential startups out there. Tim, what would your, your words be? I would say, believe in your idea and believe in yourself. You know, a bit of doubt is healthy and will help keep you realistic. But you will be more successful if you believe in yourself from the beginning and plan and go for it. Strange today would probably be a 2,000 barrel taproom empire if we'd had uh, 100% confidence in our concept from the beginning and stuck to it and hadn't uh, taken a detour along the way. Um, you know, it's scary sometimes, you know, le you know Venturing off in a new direction, uh, especially back in 2010 when there were no taproom breweries. But uh, I really, I really wish that we had uh, spent a little more money, gotten a little bigger, a little sooner, um, and uh, gone for it before the market filled up with the uh, 80 something other taproom breweries that we have in Denver now. So believe in yourself, do your homework, and then. Go for it. Gotcha. Matt? Um, I think uh, talking to a lot of industry people, doing as much research as possible, do a pro forma and have somebody uh, that runs a brewery that knows numbers look at it and tell you if you're, you know, believing your own, you know, BS or if it's realistic or not. Uh, I think those, those will help, you know, that would help save you um, some expensive mistakes. And, uh, but, you know, if, if I, I am a better person for having done it and I've learned so much and um, I wouldn't change where I'm at for anything. Like I just, I, I wouldn't go back to any of the past things I've done. I I'm, I'm totally, I love the brewing industry and I'm excited to have done it. So um, I think, yeah, I, you know, believe in yourself for sure. And, and, you, you know, you got to take some risk in or in life to achieve 
and um and yeah don't be afraid to fail because you're going to make mistakes and and um and so you know just don't be afraid of doing that you know don't be afraid of making mistakes awesome thank you guys thank you yeah thank you so yeah, much thanks for having us i appreciate it i think my my takeaway from all of that is have faith and do your homework does that sound like it wraps it up with a bow i think yeah, the the including the communication with other brewers and the industry and all the resources we have now. And plus, you know, the stuff we're trying to add to, um, I think there's a lot of, of places to go to do that pro forma and to, to look at some industry numbers and see if you're being realistic in amongst the faith piece. Um, super cool. So a big thank you to all of our listeners for joining us now and in the future for episode 18, building your business plan, setting goals of the startup brewery podcast. We invite you to join us for our next episode, 19, which takes another step in the financial direction with getting into the numbers. This new episode will be released during the earliest hour of Tuesday, September 12th. We have a final wrap-up word from our sponsor. Ready to earn additional revenue by offering up a flat parking space? Signing up with Harvest Hosts is a slam dunkle. The sign-up process is simple, and you can start accepting RVers within a week. There is no cost to be a host and no hookups are required to get started. Hosts can accept or deny stay requests using text or email, control the number and size of RVs, and manage their own calendar of availability. Visit harvesthosts.com forward slash hosts or reach their team at listings at harvesthosts.com. While you're anticipating the release of our next episode, feel free to visit the Startup Brewery website at startupbrewery.com a free resource for those who are looking to open or grow their breweries. Be sure to look through the task lists offered for each stage of the process, plan, act, open, and grow, at the educational resources and at the offerings from our savvy contributors in our growing library. You can also sign up for an occasional electronic update with a new starter brewery contributors, content, events, and more great information on the contact page of the website. We also encourage you to explore the All About Beer website at allaboutbeer.com perhaps pop in to enjoy one of their excellent podcasts as well. In the meantime, this has been Laura Lodge and Candace Moon, wishing you a terrific day and thanking you once again for joining us on our podcast journey to start a brewery.